Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Okay, well, let's jump back into the Word this morning. We, all of us, I think, have a yearning in our hearts. When life is really bad, that yearning is probably self-evident. But even when life is good, there's a yearning in our hearts that says there must be more to life than this. I think that's just a human, a human expression. I love the way uh, C.S. Lewis put it. He said, when with feeling that we have, he said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Last week, we discussed the intermediate heaven, the place where believers go when they die. The scripture tells us that when we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. But the place we're talking about, this intermediate heaven, um, is not the place that we normally think about as heaven, we normally talk about as heaven. That's why they call it the intermediate state or the intermediate place. It's where we go when we die. We can't go to the permanent eternal heaven because it doesn't yet exist in the sense that the scriptures talk about the new heavens and the new earth that God will bring into being at the end of time. So we are talking about now going to be with the Lord in a place called paradise. So I used an analogy last week, and the analogy was that in the old days, if you were going to go to the South Pacific, um, you couldn't get there with the range of the airliners at the time, so pretty much everybody would stop in Hawaii. So if you um, wanted to go to Tahiti because Tahiti was heaven to you, But you had to stop in Hawaii on the way and you decided being that you're there, you'll take a couple of days and you get off the airplane and you get into Hawaii and you discover, hey, this isn't bad. And the people in Hawaii call the place where they live paradise. What you experienced was paradise on the way to heaven. So I know that it's an analogy, and so you have to work with me on that. But several years ago, when I shared about this analogy, um, Liz was a part of the congregation, and she emailed me after this time that I shared about it, and she said, Pastor Barry, I thought my parents were in heaven, but I discovered they're in Hawaii. <laughs> I thought that was, that was pretty good. Liz is uh, running PowerPoint for us uh, today. So, this morning we're going to focus on the other heaven, not paradise, but we're going to focus on the eternal heaven. And this is what we normally think when we think about heaven, is this eternal heaven. And I want to share with you um, from some contrasts of those things that we often assume about heaven but aren't really true from a scriptural perspective, but have sort of crept into our understanding, they've sort of crept into our culture. And so we're going to try to, um, we're going to, try to clarify that today. Occasionally at North Sound, we do the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. And neither of the creeds say a lot about heaven. And so... They say a great deal about Jesus and who he is. And when we say the creed, we affirm our commitment 
to those doctrinal statements that are summaries of the truth of Scripture. But not a lot is said about heaven. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, as I share with you, I encourage you to search the word yourselves. Um, and so there are a lot of scripture verses that are listed, and I encourage you either to take a quick picture or jot them down. And that way, if you're interested, you can dig a little deeper yourself. The reason that I say this is that, is that these scriptures, even though they give us insight into heaven, we can't put our weight on it quite as much as we do to those scriptures that talk to us about Jesus and the importance of who he is as a part of the Trinity and the fact that he died for our sins. Those kind of things are, are very, very solid. This, we believe, is scripturally true, but, but, but not quite as, uh, as, as dogmatic, perhaps, as we have in terms of looking at Christ. So are we good? Enough background? And everybody said? Okay, good. So I'm going to give you an assumption. I think we've got four or five of them. I'm going to give you an assumption that often is the case for heaven, and then we're going to suggest what the biblical perspective is. So first of all, we assume that heaven is not associated with the earth. Right? You go up to heaven. The Bible says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So when we look closely at the scriptures, we see the eternal heaven is actually here on earth. Revelation 21, John the seer describes heaven this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So John indicates here that the new heaven and the new earth are together, and the new Jerusalem descends to the earth. The eternal heaven will be here in the new heavens and the new earth. Much of what we know of the earth today will be refined in some way in that new creation. And creation itself, according to the scripture, will be transformed. Paul says in Romans 8, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, <clears throat> but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself... <coughs> Excuse me. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, there are a bunch of other verses there that you may want to have a look at. The second assumption we make is that heaven will be unfamiliar and otherworldly. We, we tend to think of heaven as a good place. If you're here this morning, I think you want to go to heaven, but we tend to think of it as some sort of a, a strange place that would be unfamiliar to us. We have unorthodox ideas about heaven, about angels becoming, we becoming angels and living in an unfamiliar world. One of the things that I encourage families when we have a memorial service is to have people share, have family members share but not to do an open mic. 
because in an open mic we lose complete control of what somebody is going to say. And you would be amazed at the conceptions of heaven and what happens to us when somebody gets a mic in their hands and begins to express their thoughts on what it's going to be like. It's, it's, it can be really, really weird. Uh, and it's a little difficult for the pastor to try to correct that without offending someone. So the Bible speaks of heaven in rich, robust, earthly terms. It's as uh, earth becomes paradise. So consider Isaiah's description of heaven in Isaiah 65. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed and they shall build houses and inhabit them and they shall plant vineyards and eat their fill and they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat, for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before, I, before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Looking ahead, the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 9 sees the coming of the Messiah and the reign of the Messiah, and he says, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Earthly, robust, and beautiful expressions of what heaven will be like. The third assumption we make is that in heaven we will have disembodied people. The Bible says people will have resurrection bodies. Do you know how when you watch a, a movie on TV or perhaps a show on television, um, when, there is a, when there is someone who has passed on and is now a ghost or whatever, they, they use special effects to kind of give their outline, but they're kind of invisible. And we, we assume um, that somehow that's kind of the way it is uh, for us uh, as we go to heaven. We tend to think of angels and spirits. But the scripture says we have new bodies. The scripture says our bodies will be resurrected. This is just as Jesus had a resurrection body, so we will have a resurrection body. The famous passage of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 on the resurrection, he says... So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. And spiritual here doesn't mean a spirit. It doesn't mean non-corporeal. 
when Jesus was resurrected, he could be seen and touched. Remember how he had Thomas feel the wound in his side and see the marks of the nails uh, in his hands. And so he had a resurrected body, but it was a body nonetheless. The fourth assumption we make is that heaven will have no time or space. The Bible says heaven will have both time and space. Sometimes our theology is built by well-intentioned hymn writers. But even the best hymn writers can sometimes miss it theologically. And we have gotten the idea, I think at least in part, from a hymn that many of us love and sing that goes this way. The trumpet of the Lord shall sound and... Time shall be no more. But the Bible doesn't actually say that. So it's based on a mistranslation of Revelation 10.6 where the King James Version from the 16th, 17th century says there will be time no longer. And this is corrected in more recent versions. You can check yourselves that there will be no more delay, meaning God's judgment will not be delayed. John Newton, in Amazing Grace, does a much better job theologically in capturing biblical truth. This is what he says. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. In fact, there's much scriptural evidence that there will be time in heaven. Remember how there's joy in heaven when one sinner repents. There has to be a chronological sense of a sinner repenting as time moves forward. There's this progression of time. This is the case regarding the martyrs who we talked about last week, and they um, are waiting and asking how long it will be till the earth is judged. Paul speaks of heaven in terms of the coming ages. God's people serve the Lord day and night in his temple. The tree of life in the new earth will be giving its fruit every month. And way back in Genesis, before the fall, God said that the seasons and the cycle of day and night would never cease. We think that there's no time in heaven, but the scripture indicates that there is we assume that heaven will be a place where there is no learning or discovery because when we're translated into heaven, we're going to know everything. But the Bible says heaven will be a place where we will have an eternity of learning and discovery. So we tend to think of heaven as being static. Again, our, our images, whether they're sitting on clouds and playing harps or an extended church service or whatever, but the idea is that it's sort of a, a static place, but it's not, that's not the case at all. The joy of discovery will continue to be with us, and heaven will be a place of growth, and this life is really only a preparation for eternity. We prepare now for eternity, and as we prepare, that life will continue on into heaven. In his famous chapter about love, Paul writes, For now we see in a mirror dimly, 
but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So you might say, well, pastor, doesn't that suggest that we're going to know everything? Well, the verbs that are used here to know, gnosko and epigenosko, suggest the sense of to really know or to know extensively, but in human terms as they are used, they never mean complete knowledge. So we don't all of a sudden become all-knowing like God when we get to heaven. In fact, it appears our learning will be progressive. Consider Ephesians 2. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so at the coming of the ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The word show has the sense of reveal. So the picture that we have here is God progressively revealing to us throughout eternity. When we think about the joy of learning and discovery, we, we need to realize that we'll have this opportunity in heaven as well. I, I'm not particularly looking forward to learning more about math. Um, I love knowing more about history, and those of you that don't like history, I, I'm sorry for you. But the point is, is that, is that learning will be continuing, and I think learning is one of the great joys of our lives. Is it not school? Might not be, but learning is one of the joys of our lives, and that will continue into heaven. We will continue to grow as people. And then finally, we assume that heaven will be a place where we have nothing to do. The Bible says heaven will be a place where we have a God to worship and serve, a universe to rule, purposeful work to accomplish, and friends to enjoy. The scriptures suggest we're going to be busy in heaven, good busy. We will worship God, Revelation 5 tells us. Imagine the worst, the worst, <laughs> imagine the best, <laughs> the best worship service that you have ever been to. No doubt it took place here at North Sound Church, but the best worship service you've ever been to, it won't even compare to being in the presence of God and being able to worship him in that kind of a setting. But it also, in heaven, is, is not one long worship service, okay? It, it, it's not one long worship service. We're going to be able to worship God and enjoy his presence while we're involved in many other things. Men will finally be able to multitask, apparently. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, we read this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Here on earth and in heaven, we're able to do things while we're doing other things as well. Some time ago, we did a series on the parables, and we got to a parable of the ten talents in Luke chapter 19, and you may recall that parable. As they heard, <coughs> excuse me, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So this was a parable about the kingdom of God and the servants who were faithful with their talents. Remember? The servants that were faithful with their talents were put in charge of five cities and ten cities. 
Elsewhere, we're told that we will reign with God. It seems that he has work for us to do. We will have meaningful work, meaningful, purposeful lives in heaven with God. Some of you will be familiar with the play or the the movie Les Mis, Les Miserables, and Victor Hugo is the author of the novel from the mid-19th century who wrote Les Mis. He speaks of his sense of how his life's work must somehow go on after death. He said, I feel within me that future life. I am like a forest that has been raised. The new shoots are stronger and brighter. I shall most certainly rise toward the heavens the nearer my approach to the end. The plainer the sounds of immortal symphonies of words which invite me, of worlds which invite me. For half a century I have been translating my thoughts into prose and verse, history, drama, philosophy, romance, tradition, satire, ode, and song. All of these I have tried, but I feel I haven't given utterance to the thousandth part of what lies within me. When I go to the grave, I can say, as others have said, my day's work is done, but I cannot say my life is done. My work will recommence the next morning. The tomb is not a blind alley. It's a thoroughfare. It closes upon the twilight, but opens upon the dawn. So, friends, as we begin to reflect on what the Scripture tells us about heaven, it becomes, I think, an even more wonderful place than we have imagined. It's a place that we will find familiar yet incredible, a new earth where we will have resurrected bodies. We will find pleasure in the company of God, and we will learn and grow and be fascinated with our existence there. Friends, I think death takes on a different tone when we begin to see what awaits us in heaven. It's really not so bad. During the climactic battle in Tolkien's The Return of the King, it looks like all is going to be lost. The evil army is knocking down the gate and the walls, and it seems that death is about to happen. But there's a moment in the book and the movie where Gandalf and Pippin have a moment to talk about death and what happens beyond. Pippin says, I didn't think it would end this way. And Gandalf says, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass, and then you see it. And Pippin says, what, Gandalf? See what? Gandalf says, white shores, and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. And Pippin says, well, that isn't so bad. And Gandalf says, no, it isn't. And friends, that should be our perspective as we consider the death of our loved ones in the Lord and as we consider our own mortality. What awaits us is white shores and beyond a far green country, 
under a swift sunrise. And that isn't so bad. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the promises of your word. And as mortal human beings, Lord, we are especially taken with the gift of salvation and the gift of eternal life that you have given us. Well, perhaps none of us looks forward to our death. I pray that you would help us to look beyond to the joy of paradise and heaven that awaits us. In Jesus' name, amen.